episode of the Sample Hour. I am very pleased, as usual, to have on my good friend. He is the he is the uh, owner and blog writer of of two minds dot com. He is an author. He's written both fictional books and many other books. Definitely go to Amazon, buy his books. Go to his website and check out all the links of two minds dot com. He is a man, the myth, the legend, a renaissance man, an overall badass, Mr. Charles Hugh Smith. How you doing, sir? Hey, Drew. Thank you for that <laughs> glowing introduction. Actually, I'm mostly like a lazy gardener, <laughs> guy who's overwhelmed with technology, you know, just trying to keep up. Like, what, what do you mean mobile? You know, I got to uh, get my site like... Um, yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the things I'm struggling with is uh, mobile um, oh. optimizing my site. You know, I think so, it looks fine, honestly. But I mean, with your site though, you can just people could just download that RSS and read all. That's what I do. I use I read all your blogs through an RSS feed reader. Anyways. That's what I think, and, and and then you strip out the ads, and yeah, it's it's the easiest way to go. But um, yeah, let's let's um, I'm I've been following your uh, gardening efforts and cleanup efforts on um, on Facebook and Twitter, and um, let's talk about what you're doing, which I think is is fantastic because what you're doing is the is real innovation in the real world, well, and um, yeah, that's awesome. I really appreciate you saying that, and. Uh, I just want to say, like, you know, when I started reading your blog and you you had posted something about, like, it was it was something that one of your writers had sent you, like, how to become resilient. And it was this whole list of, like, owning your own credit union, have, have a medical doctor or have, like, have somebody that's in your community that you can go to um, so then you don't need police, you don't need government, you don't need a bank. Like, and, there, and it was kind of all that, and that, that really, like, your blog has really helped me with this process, and, um, but, uh, yeah, so, what I started doing, so, um, a couple years ago, when I first started the podcast, I had my friend Joel on, and Joel was, uh, he, him and I had been, you know, connecting through Facebook, because we kind of got, we were, we were good, for, we were, we were really good friends when we were younger, and then we kind of lost touch, um, he went to Iraq, I went to college, and then when we reconnected, he started talking to me about growing food and all these guys that were, were changing urban environments for growing food. Like there's this guy, Will Allen, with Growing Power in Milwaukee. He grows like a million pounds of food on like three acres. And it's all like stacked vertical gardening and he uses aquaponics. And so Joel was like really starting on that rabbit hole. And I thought it was really interesting, but I kind of kept going. And then I'd actually... When I when I was getting the, when I was going to move into this house, my my buddy had bought this house in the city. It was an abandoned house, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to go live there." It had a it had a decent sized yard, and I was like, "You know, I just want to like have a garden, man. I want to you know grow food, not lawns." Um, and and I and I just wanted to do that. Like I thought that would be you know move into a rougher area, have cheaper rent provide food in a community that that necessarily you know some food for me and then i could probably take to sell to farmers market and i could also try to maybe have food that i could sell to my neighbors or give to my neighbors um so when i was actually it was i was about to turn 30 at my birthday and i actually got a facebook message from joel when i was about to reach out to him and he was like hey if you want to get involved in the farmers market i could really use your help this year with like social media and some other stuff and i said well yeah man i was actually just about to to uh reach out to you because we i wanted to, i'm moving into the city and i want to turn my whole yard into a garden and he goes okay well let's meet up 
So we met up after right after my birthday, and Joel like like really kind of helped me like pointed me in a good direction of like books to read, and uh, but he also he in the city of Columbus, and in most people's cities too. And there's actually a a book that I'm reading now where there's a chicken ghost. I think it's called Ghost Town in Oakland area. Charles, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, but uh, she there's there's a lot of urban farming going on there too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm reading that one. But uh, anyways, that you can get a community lot. So there's tons of abandoned lots in pretty much any metropolitan area. And so the city ends up owning them. And what they do here is they just bulldoze the houses and they clean up that waste and they just dump topsoil and pretty much just fill in the basement. So the land isn't like really rich to grow food. So like right now on that, I'm doing a lot of rehab on that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's been, it's been a struggle, not only because of, uh, like the, the, the sweat equity that I've had to do, cause the, the community was pretty much turning it, like treating it as a landfill. Like anybody that hasn't seen my Facebook pictures, you can see like, there's my favorite picture is one where there's this tattered American flag that was just laying on the ground. And the reason why that's my favorite picture is because that's, that's kind of the way America's treated the inner city, in my opinion. Like, there's areas that, 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 that nobody cares about or people just avoid. And um, so here where I'm at in this city, like, it's, it's like the lowest. I mean, it's really inexpensive to live here. There's, there's probably about 12, at least 12 more abandoned houses on my street. However, people are slowly buying them. It's not the city that's 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 coming in and like we need to focus on this area. It's independent people that are moving in here and cleaning up the area, which is really exciting. So, my buddy who bought this house, but when I went, what was interesting though, it took me about six hours to clean that lot. And after I cleaned that lot, it was like a lot of other changes, and maybe it was just you know everybody was kind of thinking in that direction. But then people started like replacing their driveways and people started more people it was just like the lot like the, removing that blight there and starting to like rehab that land to to grow food had a had a bigger influence on the community that maybe it was a subconscious influence but it's like it just it feels different on the street now like it feels like it feels different i don't i don't know and maybe it's just my ego like thinking like i put in this work so i'm really proud of it but you know, people, other people started taking care of stuff. And it's, um, and, and I think that's, that's kind of it. I mean, eventually, like, there's a lot of work that needs done. We're doing some, uh, some, I want to do some permaculture, um, uh, techniques on that land. So I've really been studying permaculture too, Charles. I, I don't know, Charles, I feel like I was all over the place. So sorry about that, man. No, no, absolutely um, not. And and so I had w- asked you to give me an uh, an account, you know, because I'd been following your Facebook, but I I wasn't sure of of how you've actually got two projects going. But let me let me just kind of comment that your um your description of 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 your cleaning up um, a part of the neighborhood, triggering like a like kind of a cascade of other uh, changing perceptions of your neighbors. That is totally true. And I know that firsthand for myself because uh, my wife and I bought like our place like uh, about 20 years ago and it was um, kind of funky. There was like abandoned TVs and mattresses. And frankly, we weren't sure that anybody was even living in the place um, uh, because it, there was hardly any lights. And, you know, <laughs> and so and it turned out the owner had passed away and, and his um, kids lived elsewhere. And, you know, it's a very common story. 
Um, and so when, when we painted the place, uh, then I, over the following year or so, I noticed that all of the other shabby um, houses and buildings within a block, people started repainting their house. And I and I, I can I should have like actually written the dates, but it's like everybody started cleaning up their place once they saw us cleaning up our place. So it's it's absolutely magical, and and you go why? But like as you say, part of it is unconscious, and um, but it's a really powerful effect. Yeah, in this neighborhood, it's interesting too because I live in a in a spot called North Linden, and it's definitely like. If you go over the highway, it's near OSU campus, and you go into this really nice area called Clintonville. Like, Clintonville has – it's, like, where most of the hipsters live, um, and there's a lot of – but, like, it's, like, hipsters that have some money, and there's uh, there's a lot – I mean, it's a really good community. There's a lot of cool small businesses. There's a lot of cool – there's a lot of hip stuff going on. You go to my side of the street, there's, like, a used car dealership. That's pretty much like every other block. There's so many like we call them hood hood dealerships, and um, there's a Family Dollar. I think there's like four Family Dollars around, like in a small vicinity around me, um, and it's it's just a different feel. Like, and it's not. It's just the socioeconomic status here is is quite a bit different than the other side of the highway. Like, and there's actually railroad tracks too. So it literally is the other side of the tracks. But here, what's interesting is it's like each street has like a different pocket. Like it's interesting to see. It's not a bad neighborhood. It's just like there's just it's just the the way like certain areas clean up after itself. Other areas don't. But the guy who lives next to me, um, it was really interesting when I first moved in. He was really still kind of hesitant about the neighborhood. And since I've been here, and I was too, like I was worried somebody might like steal my stuff. But then I bought all my gardening tools, and I was just like, you know what? I don't have a garage. I have a I have this little rotor tiller sitting in my kitchen now, instead of because I don't have a garage. Um, and so, you know, it, my tools. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna leave these tools out here, and if somebody steals them, they do. But like, I I, I just done all that work getting like my beds ready. Um, and I still got a lot more work to do in my backyard, and I'm gonna start. I think I'm gonna start planting some greens because my plan was to to what we're, what I'm trying to do. Like I bought a bunch of seeds for for flowers, um, but I also bought a bunch of seeds for like exotic peppers because it was like I can't buy. I couldn't go to the store. That was another thing that went to it because when I started like when, when I would when I talked to you before about my diet and changing the way I was eating. Like, I was eating a lot of peppers because I love peppers, and there's, like, a thermogenic uh, – your body – it's going to raise your body's metabolism. But there, I couldn't find good peppers that weren't from Mexico or weren't from, like, you know, like, out of the country or maybe I could get them from California. But there wasn't a lot of luck there. So I was like, you know, I want to I grow these peppers. So I, I, I need to get those started apparently, like, yesterday, but just all the other projects. So this year's mainly, like, a test run. Um, but what, what happened was, is I leave my gardening equipment out in the backyard and nothing happens. Like nobody steals anything. And I'm not saying I'm going to leave valuables out there because there's a alleyway and somebody could naturally, I mean, if somebody really wants it, they could take it. But it was interesting because my conversation started changing with my neighbor. He's like, you know what? I've lived here 15 years. It was a really good neighborhood. Then it got a really bad neighborhood. But now he's like, I feel like it's a really good neighborhood again. And it's just like little things have really like shifted his um, his like his way of looking at it. And there's there's another guy across the street, and they're like he's been fixing up houses. And I mean, it's 
I mean, it's it, if you want to buy real estate, like if you move to this area, like you could buy a, a house for probably six thousand dollars and put another twenty thousand into it, and that's a twenty-six thousand dollar house. I mean, it's not a bad deal, and you could make a nice house. So, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's exciting. Like it, it feels it feels good to live here. Like it feels good to to not go into you know like yuppie land, and it feels good to to have an influence on my community. Like the neighbors are really excited on that public lot and uh anyways charles i, I don't want to i don't want to be too long-winded but when i when i got when i went to get this lot through the city um it was like 10 bucks and i go through the city and going through the city as you know charles is, is such a pleasure and uh yeah so this guy he he initially told me it was fine and then so like i it, it, he made me redo that application like seven times it, no it wasn't that much it was three times i kept submitting it and then he finally approved it and then i was asking if there was like a dumpster service or something because there's so much trash and he's like well the city doesn't really do that blah blah, blah. i'm like no man i'm not asking the city to clean it i'm just asking it so i don't have to put all this trash in my bin but that's fine. I'll just put it all in my bin. And, my, and actually, my neighbors let me put trash in their bins, too, which was pretty cool. But then the city's like, oh, well, the neighbor wants to buy it. Um, and I was like, uh, okay. Like, I didn't know what neighbor because I talked to the neighbors. And so then they made me wait three weeks to not do anything. And then I finally, after me bugging them, and they said, oh, well, they didn't even fill out an application. I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, thanks for wasting my time. And then they, they, they drove by, and they're like, when are the changes going to start happening? I'm like, well, I just got done cleaning up all this trash. You wouldn't let me work on it for three weeks. So it's in the process. You're going to have to be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. So it's just interesting to me, Charles. It's like the city, I'm doing the city a huge favor by, by making this community good. I'm taking care of land that they're responsible for. And then they're hassling me about it. I don't. It's just funny to me, Charles. I don't. I don't know, man. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. As um, you know, before we started uh, uh, taping, um, we were talking about innovation, and um, because what I see you doing is um, is innovation that leads to a, a better way of living, a new economy. And a, and a healthier sort of society, if you will. So, in other words, these are actually really big, important things you're doing. But because you're doing it just yourself or with a few friends, it, it's it's a, it seems small. But I what I want to talk about is how innovation is is really ground up, and we're so used to it being top down. In other words, here's a government program, you know, or here's Silicon Valley startup that's going to change the way you live because there's this app, you know, and, and that, all that stuff is fine, but it's all top down. And so, but actually the real innovation is always ground up. Now we can use um, Silicon Valley tools to help us on the local level, but really the, the innovation is, is always local and ground up. And so, um, and, and I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, control, you know, that like as soon as you start doing something, um, you're going to either step on vested interests' toes and they're going to want to try to co-opt you or control you or suppress you. Or there's um, going to be people that try to take control because that's what they think their job is. You know, like your, your description of the city. They think that they're controlling this whole urban renewal thing. They're just in the way. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> but I mean, they're but they're getting paid big bucks. 
you know, to get in the way. Yeah. And it's all like, talk about a broken system, you know. But anyways, despite the, the system being completely broken, you're making <laughs> progress. And, um, and, and so let's talk a little bit about how you, you actually took uh, – you grew food and then, and then you took it to the farmer's market. And then now we're, interest, now we're getting into like an actual market you know, where there's yeah. money exchanged and you're improving the health of you know, the community, the soil, the market, and the people who were buying your stuff. So tell me more about that. Well, yeah. So Joel, so Joel had had a lot. He had like an abandoned kind of double lot, or maybe it was just a person at a pretty big backyard, which I think was the case in his neighborhood. And so when he moved in, there was a lot directly across the street from his house. So he started taking care of it. And last year, it didn't get a lot of crops because like there was so much work that had to be done to the soil. So like, and luckily, like Joel has actually like found us free good compost from a horse farm. Um, the city actually, it's a, it, it, it was a pain to figure out what happened because they changed the number, but the city forester will actually give us wood chips and wood chips are just great for mulch and actually great because eventually it will just break down and turn into soil and wood chips are great. There's a great documentary for anybody that wants to see it, um, called back to Eden. There's this guy in Washington. All he does is use wood chips, but he's really religious. So ignore all of his God talk, but definitely watch his gardening techniques. Um, if you, I mean, if you like God, but keep going. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> we're in Marion Village. So Marion Village is like a, it really is. So Marion Village, I think, has more. It feels like the city's actually trying to to clean up Marion Village. Like that's an area where, you know, the the real estate speculation is going to slowly start going up. But right now, it's from the ground up. It's people, lots of small businesses, but it's it's you know, there's there's some cool restaurants there, but there's still some like. It's still like in that middle area. It's the it's a it's a gentrification area, and so but there was a farmers but there is a farmers market there. So it's not one of the bigger ones. Like it doesn't have anybody that sells meat yet or anything like that. And so this was like one of the first uh, first farmers markets uh, for Marion Village. So last year, I guess they they had some issues because people stopped showing up, and the guy that was selling produce was driving like two hours to come sell produce, and so. Um, so this year we go and we get set up, and uh, we have radishes, kale, um, a mescaline mix, which has like mustard greens and kale and a few different kinds of lettuces, and uh, just uh, it's uh, like spearhead lettuce, and I think the kale, Siberian kale, and then we had like three different kinds of radishes. One radish was so big and beautiful, but it looked like a carrot. It wasn't like the traditional French breakfast radish. It was called a. Uh, it's all heirloom seeds, so all we're using is heirloom seeds. So. Organic is pretty much you pay the food police $4,000. They can inspect your farm anytime they want and, and criticize you and stuff like that. And that's, that's what organic is. But heirloom produce is, is a lot different. So, you know, it's like heirloom seeds. So, you know, it's, it's something that's been passed down for generation and you can buy these seeds. And the nice thing about heirloom produce is it's every seed's going to be different. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, and so, People and then we had this other guy who makes jams who was friends with us. So, me having my sales skills for you know ten plus years, I've I've helped my stepmom sell art at trade shows. I go I sell sneakers at sneaker shows. I've been in telecommunications. I worked at a kiosk. So like I'm very good at that kind of environment with selling. 
And so it was really simple. My strategy was like, I, you know, I helped, we helped get everything set up. We had a nice presentation. We had some nice looking baskets. We had a nice board. And my whole thing was, okay, now I just got to draw people in. Because I know when people look at this produce, they're going to buy it. And we were actually the only people at the time that had produce yet just because, you know, a lot of stuff still isn't in season out here yet. So, um, so what happened was is people were just coming up and I had, we had these jams for people to try. And I would just say, hey, good morning. And I'd engage them and be like, hey, do you want to come over and try some of this delicious jam? I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd just say, here's our produce. So we actually grow it around the corner. We harvested it this morning. It's all heirloom produce. You should come check it out. And it like, so I, I did a few things that was key. First, I let them know that it was heirloom produce. So, you know, which, which in a lot of it, for a lot of people, you know, is better than organic because it's not, organic has such a funky connotation now since we import so much food from China that it's organic, organic produce. And, um, and then the, the next thing that was, um, the locally grown. So everybody, what's cool about Columbus is there really is kind of within the culture here, people want local stuff. Like we have really good local restaurants now that get local meat, local produce. Um, we have, uh, people are really into that. So so then they knew it was locally grown. Then, it, then they wanted to know about freshness. So I said, we, we harvested this this morning because that morning we, we, I mean, we still had roots on the on the heads of lettuce. So I mean, it was, we wanted to show people that it was fresh. We wanted to show people it was good. And then the most important thing to me was I wanted to invite people out to see where it was actually grown because we have nothing to hide. We're, we're doing things. We're not spraying chemicals. So we want people to know what's going on. And, and people, we had this great reception. It was so cool. People were so happy to buy produce from us. People were so happy to that we were doing that in that community and that we were bringing it to the, the community's farmer's market to keep that food in the community. Um, so it was, it was an awesome experience, man. I mean, we had a, there was a food truck there, which was a local, locally-based food truck that's delicious. Um, there, was a, some more, there was some certified organic farmers. They didn't actually, all they had was strawberries. I bought some. They were delicious. I've been eating them, actually, all morning. Um, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was, I've been to farmer's markets, but I'd never sold at a farmer's market. And like the sense of community that it brings is, is so powerful. Like I heard you, um, a long time ago, actually something else that you helped inspire me with Charles was your conversation with Steve Patterson on, um, two beers with Steve about when he was starting up a farmer's market. And it was, uh, so, I mean, it, it's just powerful. It's, it's really Little things like that go a, a really long way. And people were, like, looking – the way people were talking to us, too, was, like, they were treating us like it's really awesome what you guys are doing. Like, they were ner- – like, one guy I was talking to, and I, it seemed like he was kind of nervous to talk to me. Like, not that, like, he was really, like, oh, I'm a celebrity, but, like, he thought it was so cool what we were doing. And uh, so it was, it was pretty cool. Well, you are definitely um, providing leadership, and um, you know that's that sounds like a heavy word, you know, like um, it, because it does invoke uh, responsibility, but it's also it, it creates a lot of inspiration for people. And um, when you put yourself out in the public um, and you devote your energy to something that you believe in then you are providing leadership even if you didn't intend to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you were just doing what you wanted. But, um, you know, most people are, uh, 
fear-based and, and our society sort of encourages that, you know, like, oh, be dependent, you know, take orders, you know, um, f- and don't do anything because you might fail. And, you know, we were talking about innovation um, before the uh, show started. And, um, you know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area most of the year. And then I live um, uh, part of the year in Hawaii where my wife's family is based and where I have roots going back to high school and college and stuff. And so, um, but, you know, the Bay, the San Francisco Bay Area right now is like on fire with um, tech innovation, if you will. And it's... um, it's it's not just uh, phone apps, although there's a lot of um, uh, mobile app uh, ferment here. But it's like Elon Musk, you know, building the um, the Tesla S car, and it's um, a lot of solar and alternative energy companies are are all over the place. And then there's these mega um, these sort of mega digital companies, uh, like we were talking about Airbnb, Uber, um, Twitter, uh, you know, on and on. And it's it's an exciting uh, sort of ferment, if you will, uh, for those people who are engaged in it. But there's a certain amount of um, hype and um, exaggerated enthusiasm, if you will, because it's all about making a ton of money for a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, some people are pursuing very idealistic things. Uh, the idea that you can code something and change the world is is very heady. It's very powerful. But um, a lot of other people are just uh, sucked into the whole thing of um, dreaming of, of um, getting options and then cashing out. And, um, you know, and that's a powerful uh, aphrodisiac, if you will. <laughs> you know, like I just read this story. I guess it's been it, – it actually occurred like three years ago when Facebook went public. But there was a uh, – a guy, uh, a young uh, graffiti artist, a Korean-American guy, and somebody asked him in Facebook before they went public, they were a little company in Palo Alto, oh, could you paint this big, uh, some big murals inside our offices? And so they offered him like either a couple thousand shares in, in Facebook or a couple thousand bucks cash. And so he just said, oh, what the hell, I'll take the shares. And then he kind of forgot about it. And then like three years later, they um, contact him and say, well, you know, um, those shares that we gave you, well, they're worth 200 million. Holy cow. And so when the guy um, – and um, and so uh, I said – the guy that was telling me this is my brother-in-law. And um, I said, you mean 20 million, right? Because even that's an extraordinary sum of money. He goes, no, $200 million. So I Googled the story and, and confirmed it was, in fact, $200 million <laughs> for, paint, for doing some kind of graffiti style. Uh, and so you read stories like that, and, and it, 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 it can twist your mind. But what, we're, uh, what I find interesting in what you're doing is there's changing the actual like, landscape and the way we live that that's that's not going to come from coding an app you know uh-huh. that, that's that may provide this sort of network that helps us do things in the real world and and i i, I totally believe in the power of digital um technology to enable us to do uh social changes and the and in the way we live but kind of reinventing the fabric of, of urban America and small town America, that is like totally where it's at. And, and I also wanted to mention like a little side story here. The gentleman who, who um, had sent me that how to become resilient list is an interesting character because he's an attorney who spends half his time in New York 
um, you know, uh, doing work for, uh, you know, all the legalese that, 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 that yeah. dominates America. The other half, he, he lives in a small village in Japan. <laughs> where and, and you know Japan's population is actually declining, so there's a ton of um, semi-abandoned old um, villages in Japan, and so he and some of the people in the village there are doing s- something very similar to what you're doing in Columbus, and so it's interesting that there's to some degree there's a little bit of a global movement here to like re you know to to recover you know an urban. Um, an urban sort of environment that works for people, you yeah. know, that, and that isn't, uh, and, and also small towns that have been abandoned or, you know, you see it when you're driving through the Western part of uh, the U S which is where I tend to, we tend to camp in the West, you know, all the big national parks and state parks and stuff are here. So you see a lot of small towns where, you know, um, the downtown has been abandoned. Basically, there might be a bakery there or a cafe, and then um, and then there's a Walmart on the edge of town with like a four thousand <laughs> you know square mile parking lot or whatever. And and so that's that's been what's happened in America in the last forty years is is the small kind of small towns and and uh, medium sized towns have been gutted, and um, and it, it's become an un, a kind of an inconvenient and unpleasant way to live you know you gotta you gotta drive to outside town to, to do your shopping and um and the, the urban environment just becomes ugly you know because nobody cares like you say so what you're doing is you're recovering like a whole new way of of living that that um that we use digital technology to enhance that and make it happen you know faster and and cheaper uh but where it's really still based on the basics, you know, like how close are you to real food? How, you know, how engaged are you in your community? Um, all, all that good stuff you're doing. So tell me about uh, how digital technology enhances your innovation, you know? Well, this is how it enhances our innovation. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the internet, we wouldn't know how to do what we're doing. I mean, like what, what I learned to do is from watching documentaries, YouTube, I mean, YouTube University again, Charles. Yeah, that's right, man, totally. I, I, I have a whole like tab of permaculture, urban farming, and uh, you know the internet allows me to, to 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 discover people like Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms or Mark Shepard from uh, um, he's in a co-op that's part of Organic Valley in Northwest Wisconsin or Southwest Wisconsin. Um, Bill Mullison, who uh, is like the one the founder of permaculture, and for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it means permanent agriculture. And there's so much cool stuff that people have done with permaculture, like re-greening the desert. Um, if you just Google that, this guy Jeff Lawton uh, pretty much was re-greening the desert, and it's still thriving where he left. And it's just all about harvesting water, and it's all about, like, you know, th- that you are a part of this ecosystem. It's all about building an ecosystem. It's all about, like, we are a steward versus, oh, this, the land belongs to us. It's just, like... The approach that modern agriculture takes versus how what like a forestal agriculture or um, permaculture is, it's completely different. It's not tilling all the time. It's not, you know, it's not using annual crops constantly. It's focusing a lot more on perennial crops. And so there's a lot of stuff that I've been learning and it's, um, it's been a pretty interesting couple, few months and it's, it's, uh, and I still got a lot more to learn. Like I still, like, I still want to have you know, get some rain barrels and, and have, you know, start harvesting all my rainwater. 
And and I think that's a big thing. I mean, there's a really good documentary. Um, I tried to email it to you, and if it didn't work, I'll email it to you again. But it's called uh, Inhabit, and it's it's for anybody that hasn't checked it out. It's this guy from uh, New Jersey went around um, mostly the East Coast and then part of the Midwest. And there's a lot of cool stuff going on with permaculture, and and um, and there's also like rooftop gardening, and it's it's all about really harvesting water, though. Like we waste rainwater, which is one of our natural resources, and and a lot of people pointed out, even in like California, the way that there's no there's I mean, if if they started doing a lot more rooftop gardens and really trying to harvest all that rainwater that they're getting instead of just letting it go into the drain, like how maybe that water situation could be different. And um, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, here we have tons of rain, but that's not always going to be that way, likely, the way the earth changes. So, you know, why not learn to harvest water? Why not learn how to to build, to, 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 to change the land to naturally harvest water? So there's been a lot of stuff I've been studying, Charles, and it's all from, like, technology, to answer your question. It's all from technology. It's all from having resources online that I can... I can, you know, be exposed to things or, or being able to read your blog, which which plants ideas in my head that then I can then um, uh, that I can then cultivate. So I think that that is the importance of the Internet. It helps us it helps us close close down our gaps and it helps. It creates another universe within the living universe. Um, but again, you know, it's not it doesn't matter how great your website is. It's not going to clean up your neighborhood. Um, so I, th- I think that's that's where you know it's something you talk about even in your books is just you know putting in that sweat equity like that's that's why that's so important because it, it doesn't matter how, how great you are online or how good you are at video games if if you can't feed yourself if you can't go thirty days like I, I I'm I'm this guy Mark Shepard put a challenge on can you live off of your land for thirty days like just from the food and I can't do that right now and most people can't. Or can you and and so I think you know I think Bill, you, we have to still keep this main. We still have to maintain this relationship with like the the you know the physical reality um, that people are just getting disconnected from. I mean, like you know, one thing for me is getting outside more has like has made me be so positive. Like I f- I feel so good. Like I just feel so good because I get outside, I garden, and I'm shoveling compost or shoveling wood chips or raking wood chips and or pulling weeds and it's like man like I just I just feel good I haven't I haven't been outside this much since I was like in my late teens early 20s and so it it like it it just it feels good like I feel healthier like I sleep better and it I learn better like so I think it's you know I I don't I, I think it's important that people not ignore the internet because the internet is such a valuable tool and teaching yourself how to do things and make a difference and and work on yourself, but at the same time, like you can't just live on the internet. Like you have to be out in public, and you have to to you have to to work on you know you have to cultivate a relationship with the physical reality. If that makes sense, absolutely. And then and what you're also doing is you're cultivating um, relationships in the real world. So um, 
you know, whenever people start talking about like, oh yeah, LinkedIn is so great because, you know, I can, <laughs> you know, buddy of mine will connect me to somebody that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all well and good. And there's a certain little niche for LinkedIn, but I mean, in the real world, we deal with real people. And so it's the relationships that you're building with people that I find, um, so inspirational to me and, and so powerful because that's how we base our, our decisions and our, our, our actual daily life is, is um, taking care of people we care about, um, uh, doing our duty that we've you know, uh, committed to somebody to do something, um, that we have a goal, that we have a purpose, and that we're going to work with other people. I mean, that's the real world. And so LinkedIn and all that stuff is fine on the margins, like um, to share ideas and, and uh, bring people into your, your, your network. But um, as you say, it, the cultivating uh, relationships in the real world is, 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 um, requires being in the real world most of the day and then being online like, you know, in, in little pieces, you know, maybe an hour or so here and there and then um, living in the real world, not online. But I, let's talk a little bit about um, your plans for like a nonprofit. You know, you, we were, um, you were just starting to tell me and we, we decided to um, start recording. Yeah. Um, so I think that's ultimately like I want to I need to I need to do a lot. Of stuff. I really need to sit down with an accountant, um, which I'm, I'm going to probably have to do this week because the comedy show stuff is still going on too, Charles. Like I got a lot of a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 um, it's just it's funny because it's like I have these good problems to have quite a bit right now, and it's like, man, I got to do this, this, and that, and all this stuff is cool, but I gotta I gotta make sure I'm handling it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the nonprofit is gonna be a good tool. Because, well, for a few reasons. Number one, um, for doing this, a nonprofit is going to be good because, you know, corporations have to give money to a lot of things. But also, too, like, it's easier to get people involved a lot of times in your local community. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily want to say that. But people – I feel like people naturally rally behind a nonprofit. I have – I'm very skeptical of 99% of nonprofits. But um, – you know, it, it started with uh, another veteran guy, and it, and the, the nice thing is there's a there's a nonprofit here already called Franklinton Gardens, and they're doing something similar, but on the other side of town, and they get a ton of donation money and grant money so they can keep doing what they're doing, and there are resources out there that are strictly for nonprofits, so I the thought for us is to. Um, um, to, as a nonprofit, there's an, another nonprofit that's really cool called the Urban Farming Guys, and they're in Kansas City. And they've done, if you haven't checked them out, Charles, I checked them out on YouTube. They've done a lot of like reduced crime rate. But the, but the advantage of being a nonprofit is, is as a nonprofit on my public lots, I could eventually buy those lots. We could eventually buy those lots from the city, and they'll usually give you a way better price than me as an individual who's just taking care of the land. So that it's it's so partly it's it's to to have the proper tax paperwork so the city will treat us differently if that makes sense and it's to me it's just a magic trick but I think it's it's something that's going to be necessary for me to do like I as you as you know from our conversations previously like I'm not I very much so would rather run agorous businesses that I don't file and that are just like you know completely illegal in the eyes of the state. However, to do what I really want to do and to, to, to really 
take this seriously, unfortunately, I feel like I have to sometimes compromise and and do things the quote unquote legal way or the right quote unquote right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and you know, Drew, I think you're absolutely right in 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 feeling the need to do that because um, another issue that we just touched on briefly that I wanted to bring up again is um, is maintaining control of what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, so you need a legal structure. We're a legal-based uh, society, you know, and so you've, you've got to have a legal structure to um, enable and, and make sure that you, you can control what you've created, um, you know, you and the core group that, have, that are responsible so that you don't lose control to people who are, will exploit it for their own benefit or um, destroy it, you know, through um, incompetence uh, and, and that kind of thing. So um, I, I myself, uh, my, a couple of my friends and I started a nonprofit, uh, which, you know, we worked on for years in the early 90s. And so, yeah, it's actually kind of cool uh, where you go in and, you know, you, you learn how to file the um, incorporation papers for a nonprofit. At least that's how it works in California probably similar in Ohio yeah. and, and you fill out the paperwork and the fees are usually small, you know, 40 bucks or whatever it is, you know, maybe a hundred now. And I think, it's, uh, uh, I think it's 400 in Ohio. <laughs> 400. Oh yeah. I bet you it was 40 bucks 20 years ago and they've jacked it up to make more money. You know, those are what I call junk fees, right? Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. So the junk fees have gone up tenfold, but, um, and then you, and, but the cool thing about a nonprofit structure from my point of view, just again, being an insider, uh, who, who, who's done it is, um, that, that you get to, um, invite people who you really value and admire onto the board, you know, because, and there's, and, um, depending on, you know, how big your, your nonprofit becomes, then there's, um, the work gets done by little committees. And I know this because I worked, um, when I was really young, like in my um, late teens and early 20s, I volunteered with a, an old line nonprofit, one that has been around for like 100 years. And it was, it's connected to the Quakers, you know, the, um, it's called the American Friends Service Committee. And it's kind of like all about, you know, peace and, and uh, social justice and stuff like that. And so you, I learned then how um, you can make um, – an organization, a nonprofit, or a local community organization, in, it, it, so it can endure. In other words, you have to have a management structure in place so that um, you know your organization doesn't die if if somebody leaves. You know, they move out of town, or they lose interest, or they have some personal crises. Um, you know, all that stuff happens all the time, and so you've got to have a sort of structure that will endure. Um, the usual changes that 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 occur in in, in people's lives or, or challenges and stuff like that. And so, we, when you work in an organization that's been around for a hundred years, you realize, hey, this is how it works. And so, what I learned is it works by little subcommittees, you know. And so, you 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 ask people to serve on a little subcommittee, and it might meet once a month or something like that. But mostly, what it's actually doing is getting the actual work done. Because if you have like a subcommittee of like three people, or four or five people at most, then they're the ones who call up people and go, hey, um, you know, didn't you say you were willing to volunteer? Um, well, like we're doing it this like Saturday morning, you know, and, and, and the, the whole phone tree thing and the uh, social media, that's how you get the real work done. Then the, then there's a sort of board of directors um, who are, you know, might you might have an attorney who's willing to um, volunteer and make sure that, you know, that, that all the 
papers are filed um, annually and, you know, that kind of stuff where work gets done by people who know how to do this, the stuff that the organization needs done. And um, so anyways, I'm excited to hear you doing that because that's how you can kind of leverage your leadership and then it, it, it like will inspire an even larger group of people. Yeah, it's interesting to, I, I guess it's like been interesting for me, Charles, like since like, as I've been growing as an adult, like I, I'll, I'll go to conversations with adults and it's, it's like, it's interesting how people receive me because they receive me a lot differently now. It's like people take me more seriously now. It's like, it's a really weird, it's been a weird transition, Charles, I must say. Like, <laughs> like I went, like, this is just kind of like an example and like, you know, it's, it's weird because people do listen to me. And it's like a really weird thing and it's a really like, you know, and I have to treat it with like a responsibility and I don't want to sound like I have an ego because it's not that it's like people are influenced by me and it's really strange. And, uh, and so, uh, I went to my, my stepdad is actually like at Youngstown state and Youngstown state is in Youngstown, which everybody knows Youngstown for pretty much politicians getting blown up in car bombs or boom boom mancini or just a just a an an abandoned industrial town and uh but youngstown state the university is smart and they're really they're converting all their degrees to from um in person to online so everything's being transitioned to online and my stepdad's pretty much in charge of getting these professors to get all their courses online so he works with pretty much a ton of professors and um, so I went to like his birthday party and hung out with his dean of students and all these professors. And my parents had wanted me to talk to them about finishing my degree. And they ended up telling me I needed to start a business. So it was kind of funny for like my interaction with my parents who like are still stuck on me finishing my degree to then be told by these people that thought would help me that they actually told me to just start my own business. <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was this funny thing like... Uh, so I don't know. It's it's been like there's a lot of validating going validation I think going on for uh, what I've been doing and uh, yeah I think it's it's exciting. I think we actually have an event coming up um, for the nonprofit. Um, my friend Wade does so. Um, Wade is doing it's you know he wants to do a lot of rooftop aquaponics. So I'm gonna go and help support and I'm actually I'm on his board. So I don't know how that works, but I'm on his board of uh for his nonprofit. So we'll see what happens. But I mean like I I think I think what was cool is like we're so passionate about growing food in urban environments that people it's it's like this this energy I feel like that we put off because like the three of us yesterday that were at this farmers market, when we go around a neighborhood or we drive around the city now, everywhere we look we're like, oh we could grow food there. And it's like this this weird thing that's shifted in our heads. And I think when people talk to us they feel it like they feel it because we, we have so much conviction because we believe in it just like what you said about the leadership stuff um earlier so um so yeah i'm excited I, I think you know in between this the comedy shows are still coming up too so um my buddy's club in toronto is, is going to start construction and um it, it, i'm going to be a part of that as well so it's like i got a lot of hats to juggle charles so it's like figuring <laughs> figuring it all out and hopefully learning a lot and and keeping my head above water as much as possible and not being overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you're in that, uh, role, uh, where I could see it going several different ways, depending on, on how, um, 
how you choose to live because you could uh, sort of migrate into um, the leadership role or you could recruit other people to take that role. And, and um, it, you know, so what I find exciting in what you're doing is um, that your conviction and your experience is an inspiration. And so you're, and you're also in the right age where you can approach some like 19 year old or 21 year old and go, Hey, you know, somebody who's interested in, and, um, who's younger than you and say, Hey, would you be willing to like, um, take on this lot? You know, I want you to run the subcommittee that's going to clean this place up. And that young person might be, feel like inadequate to the task or something at first, like most people would, uh, but they would be enthused by your conviction and your belief in them as being able to, to contribute, you know? And so yeah. this is, this is part of like the whole process of changing, uh, the, the way we live. It's like, um, it's like community is bounced around a lot, uh, as an abstraction, but, um, it's actually kind of cultivating purpose and goals because that's what people need. You know, like we, I, when I hear about people going, well, we need to solve unemployment by giving everybody free money. <laughs> you know, in other words, like um, guaranteed income. That's the latest buzzword in, yeah. in like the sort of liberal circles. And it's all like what people, sure, people need enough money to live. They need food and so on and shelter. But what they really need is purpose and they need uh, in life and a way to contribute. And and this, that reality of life is completely lost in American culture. Yeah, you know, people is. talk about need as how much money you're going to get from the government, you know, like total dependency on the state structure for your welfare, uh, you know, Section 8, EBT cards and all this kind of stuff. But actually, that's, that's a form of poverty because you don't have any purpose in life. And so the, the kind of thing you're involved in is creating purposeful engagement. That's what community really means. And so, and I want to bring up another topic where, you know, we've talked about diet and health in the past. And I just read this series um, of articles in Scientific American um, on um, their March issue this year of, I'm, I'm behind in my reading, of course, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like that. I mean, I've got a book on uh, crypto uh, digital currencies that I want to read. I mean, you know, it's just endless trying to keep up with stuff. So, you, you, you know, we, we, we never can keep up. But anyways, this article, series of articles was on the, the importance of the microbiome to our health. And the microbiome is this whole ecosystem of microbes um, in our intestines, in our guts, that we couldn't live without because they actually do a lot of the, the digestion and what researchers are finding is it's not just helping uh, break down our, you know, what we eat uh, so we can use it. It's, it's totally tied into uh, maintaining our immune system. And so what people are discovering, and, and you might have already heard this, I know it's been around for a decade, but people are finding out more and more that like a lot of the autoimmune diseases <clears throat> that we have now, like um, actually pre-diabetes, you know, metabolic syndrome, uh, whatever you want to call um, the conditions leading up to diabetes. A lot of it is autoimmune where the body starts attacking itself. And the same is true of asthma where the body overreacts to uh, outside influences. And all these things are tied into kids being indoors most of their lives, not having any exposure to healthy soil, and yeah. also eating a very narrow uh, spectrum of food. And so when they look at like hunter-gatherer uh, uh, people who um, 
who eat a lot of different kinds of things uh, because that's the basis of the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, right? <laughs> You're not going to just go find the same thing as you wander around your, your environment. They have a lot healthier microbiome. They have a lot more different kinds of, of healthy microbes in their, in their bodies uh, compared to uh, modern people that, that eat like a very narrow spectrum of, you know, uh, processed foods and, uh, and uh, low-quality carbohydrates and low-quality low fats and stuff. So it, it, to me, it was like an analogy that I immediately keyed in on that's just like the soil. You know, the soil is, in fact, a huge, complex ecosystem. And, then, you know, when we, when we say, oh, it's just dirt, you know, it's like, no way. I mean, that healthy soil is, like, filled with, with microbes and, <clears throat> and, and, and little insects that feed off microbes and worms. And, you know, there's this whole thing that you've learned about probably more than I know. <laughs> but, like, I, really what I've found in my gardening, like, 20 years, well, actually going back 40 years, but in my recent gardening, it's, I really kind of feel like I, the plants are the secondary thing. What you're really doing is taking care of your soil. If your soil's good, then your plants are going to take off. Absolutely. Ha, have you found that? I mean, in your research yeah. and experience? Yeah. Everybody says you're not, I mean, so, um, this guy, Ron Finley, he's like the gangster gardener. Everybody <laughs> should check him out. He, uh, he, he got a warrant for his arrest from the city for growing food on a public, public land that in between the sidewalk and his the thing that he had to take care of he decided to grow food and anyways he that's he's, he's a cool guy but he that's what he was he always talked about is that you build you build people by building the soil and um so yeah so healthy soil is is the key to everything so i mean that's that's why i got to do so work on this public. my lot is actually cool because when my house was abandoned for seven years these guys across the street actually we're using my backyard as a community garden. So my soil is actually pretty good. Um, I'm still, you know, have wood chips and compost. I'm still going to do everything I can to cultivate it and make it as rich as possible. And um, I'm going to have a little worm farm going on as well. So, but um, yeah, it's, it's so key because the, the soil, the bugs and the, the, the ecology that goes on in the soil is so important. It's just so important. I hope that I get some... Some fungi growth underneath the ground, that would be great because the mycelium will help make sure everything's running smoothly under there. But, um, yeah, that's, that's just such a key is the soil. I mean, if, if you have dead soil, you're going to have dead humans because there's no nutrients. The soil is what gives your food the nutrients. So that's why it's so important to compost all your food, all your organic waste. Like, it's, it's amazing since I started my compost uh, – how little trash I have. Like, I didn't even take my bin out. We have these city bins, and I think I I had one bag in there for myself for the week, and I was like, well, I don't even need to take it to the street. So, I, you know, it's, you know, saving or, you know, reusing your organic waste, like taking your, your weeds and your grass clippings and recycling them, like actually recycle them. Don't send them to some plant that wastes a bunch of energy to convert glass to glass, and it's a, it's a losing... It, it's usually a using scientific equation there with energy, but like actually recycle in the realest way possible, like harvest water, um, learning to harvest water. So harvesting water is the other thing. I mean, the soil and the water are the key. So if you can harvest the water in your soil, then you don't typically have to water your plants that often. 
So, or if you do water your plants, make sure you're using rainwater that you captured from your gutter system. So I think it's, 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 I think that's the whole key is creating, being like a, the steward of the ecology in my backyard. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I want, I want as many little critters and bugs in my soil that I can, that's going to heal it. So I think that's, that's what I've really learned, Charles. Yeah, well, and I think um, in a larger sense, you're also becoming the steward of your neighborhood because um, and that's, that's something that we could do a whole program <laughs> on, you know. But um, it, when, you, when you try to figure out what makes a neighborhood and a town or a city um, livable and what attracts people, um, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of things – um, that are kind of obvious, but they actually take a lot of work to develop. Like, and, and what you're doing is creating, uh, like if, let me try to summarize this. There's like an ecosystem that we call a city or a town, right? And so and lots of cities and towns in America have been starved just like the soil. You know, yeah. that they've been, they've been strip mined, they've been bled dry, they've been abandoned. And so if you want to say, well, what makes a town worth living in that people are drawn to it? It's, it's, it's things like farmer's markets. It's being able to, to walk or bike to a place to get fresh food instead of having to get in your car and drive like 10 miles. And, um, and then once you have that ecosystem of food, then you can get cafes and then you can get... Um, dance clubs and I mean all this other stuff starts happening because people can uh, can live and have a good life without having to commute like um you know hours a day and and so then and then that draws in more life and so it is uh I know it sounds um kind of perhaps bizarre to to compare a city to uh, oh, it makes, soil it makes perfect sense but it's very similar and then we ourselves are an ecosystem that if you want to get um if you want to lose weight and become stronger and um, and healthier, then like you're saying, you have to get outside because actually that's where we pick up our, our good bugs is working with the soil and being outdoors. And uh, so it, it it's like this whole ecosystem includes our our own living bodies. It includes the soil and our you know neighborhood, and then it includes like the urban fabric that we're. Um, and, and by urban, I just mean where people live. It could be like a, a tiny little town of a few hundred people. There's still a, a network, an ecosystem of people that work there or whether you're in a mega city of 7 million. So, and, and in a mega city of 7 million, then it's the rooftop gardens and, and, and the things that you're talking about that, that are urban gardening. That's where that's happening and where you're working. It's um, abandoned lots. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean... It- there's just so many things that that the that that the city could do differently, and I'm not surprised that it doesn't because I think government is so uh, incompetent. But you know, it, it just you know, sparking that, um, just just sparking that ecology, just like you said, I I agree 100 percent. Because then you know, because restaurants want to like the the most popular restaurants in Columbus right now are the, the are, are the local I mean the restaurants I like to go to are the ones that get their foods locally um and it's because it tastes better it's fresher it doesn't have that weird um chemical preservative taste so i you know it, it's cool to go to a restaurant that's menu changes every week because it's what it is in season or what it what ingredients it has 
So I think um, I think that's 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 the whole thing. I think you know, yeah, helping eliminate food deserts. I think that's that's a key. And I think you know, the more people that just go out and plant food in their backyard, the better this world's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, sir, I know <laughs> you got stuff you got to go to. We went longer than what we usually do. Um, Everybody, please, please, please go to Charles's website, of2minds.com. Check out his great blog posts. Um, always good. Always great at planning ideas. Read his books as well. He has great books. I'm sure he's working on five more because um, he's just been a book-making machine the past, since, when, 2007. I mean, he's yeah. written so many books. Um, and they're all good. So definitely read them. Check them out. Um, go to... Uh, thesamplehour.com please and uh check out our website and i'm gonna in the winter time everybody i promise to update it and have more fun stuff but right now i'm kind of preoccupied with outdoors go to itunes and please rate review and subscribe to my podcast subscribe to charles's blog um you could use feedly or any app on the mobile mobile platform and it works great removes the ads Charles, thank you so much for um, coming on. Also, follow him on Twitter. He is C.H. Smith, and the I in Smith is a one. Charles, thank you so much for coming on um, and for, for giving me this, this attention and, and helping me recognize myself for the works I'm doing. I really appreciate that. I'm not good at talking about myself a lot of times, Charles. So, um, And uh, just th- thanks for always coming on. And everybody, thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.